0: I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Interim Editor-in-Chief for the Canadian Medical Association Journal. Today we will be listening to a Humanities Encounters article published in CMAJ called In the Alzheimer Waiting Room. It is written and read by Dr. Donald Weaver. He is a neurologist and director of the Kremble Research Institute in Toronto, Ontario. His research focuses on the application of medicinal and computer chemistry to chronic neurodegenerative disorders, including Alzheimer and dementia. In this narrative piece, Dr. Weaver tells us what it was like to be on the caregiver side of Alzheimer's disease with his dad.
1: This is uh, Donald Weaver reading my piece entitled In the Alzheimer Waiting Room. Present, yet somehow deeply absent, this quiet man sitting beside me is Robert Perkins, my father. Throughout his life, many of his friends simply called him Bob, which is unfortunate because he dislikes Bob, preferring Robert, or, if absolutely necessary, Rob. As children, my sister Chloe and I called him Dob. "D for Dad" and rhymes with Rob. Dad liked being called Dob. He found it endearing, often smiling when we said it. Curiously, in recent years, Chloe and I have been calling him Dad whereas our mother has started calling him Dob. She has never done that before. So here we sit in the waiting room of the memory disorders clinic. We are here for another follow-up appointment for dad's diagnosis of probable Alzheimer's disease. Mother said we should be at least one half hour early because we wouldn't want to keep the doctor waiting. It's not like he's never kept us waiting. Mother couldn't attend today's appointment. She recently had a heart attack from caring for dad, I suspect. It was only a small heart attack, but it doubles the number of parents we have to worry about. Damn, this disease is so hard on families. Today, Dad brought a dog-eared copy of Jane Eyre with him, but I doubt he will read a word. Nonetheless, this book seems to hold some special meaning. He stares at the picture of Charlotte Bronte on the cover, occasionally touching her face. I think this represents some distant, fond childhood memory. He stares at the book, and I stare at him, grappling with my own emotions. Dad has gone from bold to old so quickly. A decade ago, he was successful, brimming with brilliance and occasional blemishes, a man with clarity of thought, no illusions, and no complaints. However, about five years ago, he slowly entered a forgetful state, which relentlessly deteriorated. Now, each day is just like the last, merging into an unchanging pattern and slipping into oblivion. Chloe says Dad is now in the doppelganger phase of Alzheimer's disease. This person looks like Dad, but his mind isn't there. And since your brain is what makes you, you, well, this person sitting beside me, is a Dad replica, not the full father of our happier years. I feel guilty that I didn't have the courage to tell him I loved him while he was still well enough to appreciate it. Maybe that's why I'm here today, bringing him to this appointment rather than my sister. Dad somehow senses my discomfort and tries to initiate conversation. So, how are my grandchildren? Will Teddy be home for Thanksgiving? I smile, not wanting to tell him yet again that Teddy died of leukemia more than a year ago and that it's now March. Does he genuinely not remember? Is this some trick that his failing brain is playing to avoid the unpleasant? I pat Dad on the leg, not sure if I'm comforting him or me. Feeling uneasy, I look around the waiting room at the other patients with families. Since many are on the same six-monthly visit cycle, I have interacted with some of them before as we wait, united by our bonds of grief and grievance. Sitting across from me is Mrs. Pugelmoss with her two daughters. As in previous clinic visits, the daughters are angry. Their father was an alcoholic who, 20 to 30 years ago, routinely beat his wife, sometimes into unconsciousness. The daughters think that these beatings contributed to or even caused their mother's dementia they are angry at their father angry that spousal abuse is an undiscussed risk factor for dementia angry that no one seems to care about the long-term consequences of domestic violence and over in the corner is the no-name family quiet intense suffering silently as usual the daughter is prepping her father for this appointment having him draw cubes pentagons subtract seven from 100, and so on. Trying to fool the physician is simply fooling yourself. You can't negotiate with mother nature. I settled back in my seat. You can't negotiate with father time either. I wish I'd spent more time with dad. Now comes this avalanche of hateful emotions, fear, hopelessness, guilt, desperation, all inextricably and inexplicably combined with love. I wish I told him I loved him. But I didn't want to confront my own emotions. Every week, I would tell myself, Dob's okay. I'll tell him next week. Then one week, he wasn't okay. When I was young, he played one-on-one hockey with me in our driveway. I remember his handmade Christmas gifts. At the time, I thought they were silly. Now I treasure them. I remember his pride when I graduated from university. I remember his father-son chat we had when I announced I was marrying Cheryl and how he seemed to love Cheryl as much as he loved me. I remember so much that I wanted to say thanks for. Sure wish I'd done so. From the corner of my eye, I notice that something seems amiss. Tilting my head, I whisper, Dad, do you have to pee? Looking a little embarrassed, he gives me an almost imperceptible nod to the affirmative. We wander down the hall to the washrooms. Thank goodness there's a single toilet in the room with a door. I'm not prepared to deal with Dad at a public urinal, and those tiny metal cubicles just aren't big enough. As I encourage dad to sit down, he retorts in annoyance. I've been peeing, standing up for as long as I can remember, and hopefully longer, since I can't remember that much. Exhibiting one of those rare moments of insight mixed with humor. It takes him forever because of his prostate enlargement, but the urologist won't operate because dad has dementia. I know he has dementia, but he does have to urinate. We return to the waiting room and I return to sometimes eavesdropping on and sometimes participating in the conversations about the room. In another room sits Mr. Badowski with his wife and two sons. One of the sons is a building contractor who, against their doctor's advice, recently erected a lavish new multi-story home for his parents. Unfortunately, their dad got much worse when they moved into the house and began wandering in a bewildered state, especially at night. One son talks about the phenomenon of sundowning, which is read about on the internet. A family that I haven't seen before emerges from the examining room area, looking relieved. A younger woman speaks as they head towards the front desk. You see, mom, your tests weren't that bad. They think you're depressed, not demented. This is great news. Well, I'm glad someone is getting great news. This room needs some. The hospital waiting room, a feast and a quagmire of human disease, fought, anguish emotion and occasional elation i wonder if physicians ever exploit this opportunity and location to study the human condition seeking an emotional reprieve i gaze at the wall decoration the pictures are awful truly awful why am i really worried about pictures on hospital walls why because there's just too much emotion in this room suppressed or expressed mine and everyone else's push those feelings down down deep Aren't they ever going to call him for his appointment? Finally, a young-looking resident physician comes out to the waiting room reading a chart and calls out, Perkins, Bob Perkins. As I stand, the physician distractedly acknowledges our presence and smiles, but as a perfunctory gesture and without any real warmth. My father gives that soft sigh of indignation and resignation that I've heard so often. He may have dementia, but he still hates being called Bob. I gather my things and get ready to help Dad. It's been a very long hour, but it was spent with Dob, so I hope there are many more. Come on, Dob, I say. Let's go see the doctor. He smiles upon hearing Dob, and, arising from the chair, reaches for my hand. There's still a lot of you in there, just not enough, I silently mutter, swallowing hard. I take his hand. He awkwardly gets to his feet, absent, yet somehow clearly present.
0: was a CMAJ Humanities article called In the Alzheimer Waiting Room. It was read by the author Dr. Donald Weaver, a neurologist and director of the Krembil Research Institute in Toronto, Ontario. You can find the article on our website cmaj.ca. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to CMAJ Podcasts on Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. While you're there, you can browse and listen to our many past episodes, and you can leave us a rating. I'm Dr. Diane Kelsall, Interim Editor-in-Chief for CMAJ. Thank you for listening.